Locked On NBA. The biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll go to the Bay Area to speak with Wes Goldberg of Locked On Warriors about the potentially season-ending injury to rookie center James Wiseman. We catch up with the host of the Locked On Cavs podcast, but we talk about the sale of the Minnesota Timberwolves or the potential sale of the Minnesota Timberwolves, as well as the recent play of the Phoenix Suns. And lastly, we go to Boston to speak with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics about an epic comeback from Boston and how that shapes the rest of their season. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi guys, welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. We are, what, four or five weeks away from the end of the regular season here, getting ourselves ready for the playoffs. So lots of interesting news across the NBA, so let's get to it. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Warriors podcast, Wes Goldberg, is here with me. Wes, the news, um, the news yesterday when I went to sleep was that you know Wiseman's injury that they wouldn't, they didn't think it was all that serious. And I wake up and it looks like uh, a torn meniscus and maybe the end of his first regular season. Any uh, any further updates on that knee injury? Is there any? Are we holding out any hope that Wiseman returns this year? We're still waiting to see what sort of meniscal injury it is, right? Because with these sort of injuries, it really depends on the placement of the injury, what part of the meniscus is specifically, uh, you know, sprained or torn or what have you, and whether or not surgery will be needed. For the most part, surgeries are needed with these types of injuries. And for the most part, you know, these type of things uh, can go anywhere between four and eight weeks in terms of recovery time. Uh, Unfortunately, if you're James Wiseman and the Warriors, uh, there's only 19 games left in the season. So even the most optimistic or, or, uh, immediate type of timelines would probably sideline him for the rest of the year. So chances are James Wiseman's rookie season is done. Yeah, I, I don't look. We're well, we're sitting here. I'm yeah, recording this the 11th of April. The season ends on the 16th of May. Recovering from an uh, an Achilles, an Achilles for, from a meniscus injury in that time frame would be uh, would be pushing it. I would think so. Let's just make the assumption that Wiseman's regular season is done. Maybe there's a chance for the playoffs, but even then, who knows? Um, how do you view his? Uh, how do we view his rookie season? Uh, um, obviously, he started, was benched, hurt his wrist, had a couple of COVID mishaps, yeah. um, and now the knee injury. How would you say his season has gone? If you give it a letter grade, how would you? How would you say the Wiseman season has looked? Uh, incomplete. Uh, yeah. You know that that's kind of the letter grade that you get there because. You mentioned the starts and stops there, uh, Josh. I mean, it's it's really tough rookie season for him that was sort of headlined by those frustrations, right? Because off the court, he was dealing with those things. On the court, he had a really t- hard time finding a rhythm. And uh, that's what makes this injury kind of dis- so disappointing um, and, quite frankly, a little heartbreaking for, you know, for me, I, got, I, I talk with him almost every day you really start to feel for him at this point because you could tell the frustrations that he was having. This is a guy who is seven feet tall and has been, you know, one of the tallest, most athletic guys on the basketball court his entire life. Uh, just turned 20 years old, uh, dealt with a lot of adversity his rookie year, but had had before this and before, you know, the, that weird, you know, leaving Memphis and all that stuff had never really dealt with that much adversity on the basketball court. Uh, this is a guy who just things came so easily for him, and that just wasn't the case uh, in his first year in the NBA. And, like, look, that's not unique to him as a rookie, but 
uh, it, you could tell it really sort of weighed on him that he wanted to be great right away. He wanted to contribute in a meaningful way right away. And he just simply could not uh, because of the starts and stops and because he just was, he was just very raw on the floor. I mean, uh, defensively, he was a negative late on rotations, had a hard time with the speed of the game. Offensively had a really hard time fitting in, in, you know, golden States complex read and react kind of offense. And uh, again, it's heartbreaking because he, it, it appeared that he was on the verge of a breakthrough uh, at the time of that injury, right? Before he goes down against Houston, he had been playing well in that game against the Rockets. He had played well in the two previous games. The Warriors started to tilt their offense more into some some pick and roll sets and stuff that maximized his talents and his capabilities. And and he was starting to finally have some fun out there. He was smiling, uh, having a good time out there for the first time and maybe his entire rookie year. And then this happens. And I thought Steph Curry put it uh, uh, perfectly after the game. He's just, you know, every time he takes a step forward, he just, there, there's a setback every single time. And this is the case. And this is maybe the most dramatic of the setbacks that he's had uh, throughout his rookie year. So it's tough. Look, I think overall, long-term in his development, it shouldn't be that catastrophic. If, 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 if you know, damaging at all you this happened with zion williamson in his rookie year right he tore his meniscus early in the year uh ends up coming back in his rookie season now with wiseman you sort of invert that it happens at the end of his rookie season as opposed to the beginning but you see zion coming out playing at an all nba level in his second year i don't know that we can expect that from from james wiseman he's just not the blue chip prospect that zion williamson was of course but in the the recovery it, it should be a hundred percent right this is not an achilles this is not an acl necessarily like this is the the least of of those lower body injuries that happen so often in the NBA. So uh, he should get back to hundred percent health. He's young, he's fit, he's healthy. He'll be okay. Uh, but again, it's just, it, it's more heartbreaking than anything for a kid who just really wanted to be out there to contribute. Which end of the court do you think that uh, Wiseman was most successful on? What, what gave you the most hope? Was it offensively or defensively? offensively defensively man I, he has a long way to go and that was going to be the case no matter what i don't care what situation he got drafted to what it was going to be very raw at memphis he played three games like i said at memphis only one of those were against legit competition his last game against oregon and you go back and watch the film to that game and and he was having a hard time even then on the college level just defending basic pick and roll actions and that was very much the case in the nba uh teams would draw him into switches and and he would have a hard time guarding you know, ball handlers on the perimeter. And it was just, he was a very easy player to target, which, you know, again, is the case for a lot of people his age uh, in the NBA, but, you know, very late on rotations, had a tough time, you know, with help defense and closing out and things like that. So he was a net negative on that end, despite, you know, the, the, the physical talents that he has Uh, offensively. uh, He didn't really have a staple shot, a a go-to option really until late. Like I said, when, Warriors started running some more pick and roll and they were finding him from him on dunks and lobs and things like that. Uh, and, and you started to see more promise on the offensive end because of that. And, and you know, flashes of a three point shot, uh, the percentage, I think he's going to end the season at, you know, about 33% from three point range. That's really, that's nice for a rookie center who's, you know, long range shot was questionable going into this. We didn't know if it was real or not. I think it's real. I think we've seen enough in his rookie year to know that it's real and that's going to continue to get better. Uh, so offensively, the Duke can just score. And the Warriors put him in, in position to score and, quite frankly, relied on him to score in certain situations. He was able to be productive on that end, uh, especially as the season went on and he improved the timing on the pick and roll and 
in chemistry with guys like Steph Curry and Jordan Poole in the second unit and stuff. But defensively, he has a really long way to go. And again, and again, you go back to this injury and, and the issues with the development that it has. Uh, this this would have been a nice little stretch of games for him to continue to develop defensively uh, that he's not going to have anymore. Do you think that this makes the Warriors better this season? Do you think it yeah. makes them um, yeah, it improves their their playoff and playoff seeding chances? It's a really good question because um, at first, right, you look at this and you're like, "Oh man, you lose your number two pick. That's such a bummer for a team that's like on the fringe of the playoffs." But the on-off numbers speak for themselves, and I think that's what you're referencing. And uh, the Warriors are simply worse with James Wiseman in that starting lineup. Uh, those numbers have been slightly better as of late, you know, as as he's developed, but. It's unarguable that this team is better with Kevon Looney in the starting lineup, but they had prioritized development over a playoff spot this season, rightly or wrongly. Uh, and no, I, I think this it it makes them maybe better to start games, right? Because you're going to obviously go with Kevon Looney, but you have no depth at that big man position right now if you're the Warriors. None. I mean, Kevon Looney is your one center. Yeah. Alan Smiley-Geach is sort of a tweener forward center, but he's not ready to play. I mean, you talk about how raw James Wiseman is. You watch you know, 60 seconds of Alan Smiley-Geach on the court. It's very clear. He's two years away from being two years away. Uh, and so he's not going to get any minutes uh, that are during a meaningful portion of the game. And so after Kevon Looney, and Kevon Looney's not a guy who can go out there and play 35 minutes for you, right? Like, this is a guy who is basically capped at 20 to 25 minutes a night because of his own health problems. So uh, he's going to start. The Warriors will be better to start games, I would imagine, to start you know each half, first and second half. But after that, they're going to be forced to go small unless they make any sort of changes, roster additions here. Uh, in the next few days, it's going to be six six forwards like Draymond Green and Juan Descano Anderson playing spot minutes at small ball center. They've they've had success over stretches of that during the season, but uh, it, it's again it's really hard to go into games during this really crucial stretch of the season with just one traditional big man on the roster. So again, I, you go back to okay, can you win these games at the at the fir- in the first six to eight minutes of each half and just sort of survive these other minutes. It is going to be interesting to watch. It is obviously a bum because you're right. He was starting to improve and we could see this corner slowly being rounded, if not you near know, fully turned with Wiseman. And then, uh, yeah, the long term, no problem. Yeah, he's going to be fine from this injury, but it is a bit of a bummer now. Wes, you'll have all of the Warriors news covered for us over on Locked On Warriors. Thank you for coming on Locked On NBA with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. If you have to make the hiring decisions for your company, what you really need is help in making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three, post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Indeed makes connecting and hiring the right talent fast and easy. And with tools like Indeed Instant Match, it gives you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately and Indeed skills tests that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests or add your own and then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match that job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that have that meet your must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer is valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Built Bar is 
the best tasting protein bar ever. We have just gone through Built Bar Madness. We've decided the greatest flavor of all time, but you can still get whatever flavor it is that you're after from their delicious array of protein bars that taste just like candy bars. They are covered in 100% chocolate and soft and easy to chew, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great protein bars if you're on a keto diet as well. For example, their cookies and cream bar, one of the best bars out there, I think. 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and four grams of net carbs. So go to builtbar.com and if you use the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. The promo code is LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, one five for fifteen percent off at builtbar.com. Well, so let's cover a few things around the league. A couple of news items we need to get to. I am joined by the host of the Locked On Cavs podcast, Chris Manning, is here with me. Chris, um, big news across the league with a uh, a potential sale of an NBA team going through. The Minnesota Timberwolves looks like they're going to be sold to. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, uh, that yes, that uh, that A Rod going to be buying the Minnesota Timberwolves for about one point five billion. So I was going to say million, one point five billion, uh, along with uh, I think uh, Mark Gore, the, the guy's name is who is his uh, partner in this endeavor. Off Glenn Taylor, can you see any um, any negatives in this situation for the league as a whole? Considering the uh, I'd say the Glenn Taylor ownership run has been far from spectacular in Minnesota. Well, I, I think all the Wolves folks I follow and just thinking about this, I, I think I get the anxiety that like, are they going to try and, and move the team, frankly? And I, I think that's concerning. I think um, Glenn Taylor, you know, it seems like they're going to take like two and a half years to really make this transition. Doesn't sound like uh, that's the like the plan to to move the team. And, you know, obviously, I think I'd want to see what happens with the Lynx as well. Like, I don't know if it's been cleared up if A-Rod's also going to buy the Minnesota Lynx of the WNBA, uh, who've, you know, been a great, great team for a long time and still are. So that's like sort of an open question. Um, it seems like the NBA would expand rather than contract at this point. I don't really like see a need for them to like move and then leave Minnesota without a team in some way. But, and again, they're saying all the right things, but you just look at this and, you know, the, the guys who moved the the Sonics to Oklahoma City said sort of the same thing when that happened, right? And we need to see how this plays out. Like I we don't I don't think we all indications now are that the plan is to keep the team there and that like that's part of the contingent of of Glenn Taylor selling it. Like he was not just gonna like like get the team moved and everything. But that that if that's to me like kind of the thing that first pops into my mind about this. Yeah, look, that's the thing that I guess a lot of Wolves fan would Wolves fans would have had pop into their mind. But you're right, that Glenn Taylor has been pretty specific in, in terms of organising a sale that he wants the team to remain in Minnesota. And, and you wouldn't imagine that the uh, the A Rod Consortium would be looking to rock that boat anytime soon. And, and you're right that the the NBA would be much more willing to expand rather than move teams. They know how the situation has gone in terms of Seattle. And look. Seattle is going to get a team at some point, and that's going to be an expansion team. It happened with a team moving out of Charlotte. Then we've got a new team in Charlotte. And there's talk of maybe Vancouver gets another team back. Like So all of these places that have teams and then lose them, they end up getting one back in the end. So I think the NBA would be pretty cognizant of that fact and would be like, okay, we don't want to move Minnesota to Seattle. We'll, we'll block this or we won't allow this to go through. We'll just end up giving Seattle that team that they probably, and that market and that fan base deserves and, and wants back rather than relocation. So I, I think that's a that's pretty low down on the uh, on the probability scale of what will happen to the Wolves over the next you know, five to 10 years. Yeah, the other thing I would, uh, Josh, I want to ask you this as someone who does, you know, you don't, as I'm sure listeners know, like you don't, you're living in Australia, you hear your voice, they you don't live in Australia. But like, if, if you, is there a no, if Seattle is like the obvious slam dunk one, like you do right by that city, you go back there, is there another city that you would think like, okay, when they do expand it to? And I, I think talent wise, like 
they sh- I think there's probably enough talent where you could expand it and like the product's not going to get super diluted. Like I, I think it's there. I think again, like the WNBA should also just expand to a lot of cities. Like the, I think now is kind of the time to do it. And I, I certainly think you could get some of the richest people in the world to pony up the, the massive amount of fees to do this. I think very clearly you could, but is there another city that you would like, if Seattle's like the lock, is there another one as like kind of someone who had, you know, isn't from North America that you'd be like, okay, I'm, I'd be interested in a team in, in this market. Well, obviously Las Vegas is that name that's thrown around. They've got the, the hockey team. Now they're going to have the NFL team um, there. It's not the biggest market, but internationally, the international appeal of Vegas and how well known it is. I think it is part of that in terms of you know, North America, Vancouver, as I mentioned, I could see them having a team there. The other one I think that I think would be really interesting and it's never going to happen, is putting a second team in Chicago. I just think that that market can sustain that. We've got two in LA, we've got two in New York. So why couldn't you have two in Chicago? And then something in uh, in Kentucky. Uh, I think you know, we know how how you know, high up in everyone's priority basketball is down there, that putting a team in that area, which is, you know, it is relatively devoid of, of professional basketball in that area. Um, you've got, obviously, uh, Tennessee, and you go up north to the, the, the Ohio teams. But we... Yeah, I think Kentucky. I don't know if that market can sustain it in, in Louisville, but I think that would be an interesting city to target. Yeah, I, I Las Vegas obviously has the Aces as well, and I, I think like they've. They, I think it could be like a cool market. Um, yeah, I, Louisville would be cool. Um, I, I and like I, for a little like Midwest geography is that like Cincinnati in is in Ohio, but it's like closer to a lot of parts of Kentucky. Like it's right across the river from from being in Kentucky than Cleveland, which is like four hours away. Um, so I, I, I totally mean you. I mean, like I'm, I'm all for it. let's, let's get different cities, kind of some vibes and, you know, I mean, do more or put like at least a G league team there or something. I, I think that's kind of dead on um, Vegas, but Vegas would just seem to be like a place that the players got to pick. Like, I would just bet you like, Hey, Vegas, one like, la- let one- me live in Vegas. You know, one last thing on this discussion that's evolved into expansion. What about St. Uh, St. Louis? Is that, is that a market that could do an NBA team? I think probably, um, it's not always the one that comes to mind for me. You know, I, I think Seattle, obviously, and then I think Vegas and I think Louisville and like you could come up with some other ones that like I think Vancouver, just as, if you think it can sustain, I think that's certainly another one. It gives you like a built in like three way rivalry up there. But yeah, I think St. Louis would have to be on your short list if you're going to do this. Let's transition over to something else that involves current NBA basketball. Chris, the Phoenix Suns, uh, are they a legitimate title contender they are sitting at the moment at 37 and 15 that's 71 percent winning percentage they are eight and ten uh, eight and two in their last ten they are currently sitting in the two seed they're what two games clear of the clippers who are in the three seed um they are three and a half games clear of the nuggets who had an epic meltdown today uh, are the suns a legitimate well you'd, at this point you'd say they are you know, favored to get home court advantage for the, at least the first one round of the playoffs maybe the first two rounds have they got a chance to represent the Western Conference in the NBA Finals? I think so. Like, I, I think the West is nuts, right? Like, I, I think there's the top six of that conference. And, like, maybe Dallas gets catches fire and, like, Luka just has, like, a playoff run that's unbelievable. But, like, the, the West is crazy. And it, it sort of could depend on who they get in, in, in the first round. Like, so if they can get a playing tournament team, um, you know, maybe that has to be dallas or whatever but like as opposed to having them like slide and maybe like there was a lakers had slipped or something like i think i think that helps them a lot like i think like making the playoffs and being as good as they have been you know certainly would would be a, a tricky thing but i i think you look at the team you know they're third in net rating on the year according to cleaning the glass um they are seventh in offense fifth in defense and 
they've sustained that over the last couple of weeks. Like they're top 10 in both category or top 10 in offense and 14th in defense over the last couple of weeks. Still, um, you know, top 10 in point differential. Like this has been a consistently really good team all year. I guess my big question would just be, I, we need, I think the, the guy among their core that you sort of want to see a plays out would just be Andre Ayton. Like, is he going to, how is he going to do in the playoffs when it gets there? Um, can't he kind of have a, a big playoff series and sustain some of the pressure that's going to get thrown at him? Like I have no concerns about Chris Paul, no concerns about Devin Booker. Mikhail Bridges is going to, like be dope in the playoffs like I have no concerns about a lot of that I, I just we'll see how Aiden does and I, I think that'll say a lot about where they're going in addition to you know who they play one last question before I let you go on this topic now the, the two teams that hold the one and the two seed in the west at the moment are the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns and the common um refrain I guess from fans is that oh they haven't they haven't proven it Show me, show me what you can do in the playoffs first round exit Jazz like what, what you know why should we take you seriously Suns you're the Suns. Like you haven't been in the playoffs for all this time, but they are the two best teams in the Western Conference by a considerable margin at this point. So, out of those two teams, the Jazz, 40 and 13, the Suns, 37 and 15, who would you say is the best chance, given their current personnel, their rotations, how it all works, who is the best chance out of those two, let's say, unproven teams to uh, to advance to the finals? My answer is actually, I'm going to ignore your two your structure question. I'm going to go with Denver. I think it's Denver pretty clearly. Like Jokic has been amazing. Like I, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm buying the hype and they obviously had a really bad loss today, but I kind of go Denver more than those two teams. Um, but like if they get the Lakers in the first round, which is like what it would be right now. And there, there's like a one there, Denver's one and a half behind the Clippers and LA is a game and a half above the trailblazers. Like that's really tough for them. But that, that sort of wipes out. But if I had to pick one of those two, Oh boy. Um, I, I think I think probably Utah. Yeah, I think it's probably Utah too. Do I feel good about it? No, but like I don't feel like I I think the West is going to be like a bloodbath and you look at the East and it's like a joke. Like like no shade, but like the Nets are going to get like the Knicks in the first round or something and just like coast and it's going to be chill and the West is going to be like a bunch of bloody first round series. And it's going to be great for us, but like like salute to the to Joel Embiid for getting that to, to play like the Bulls in the first round and just like eating up Nikola Vucevic for a whole round. The the top four seeds currently in the Western Conference are the Jazz. You know, lost in the first round to the Nuggets last season. You know, people say who's your star? Like you don't have this MVP caliber player. The number two is the Suns. Number three is the Clippers, and everyone's got Clippers jokes they can make. And number four is the Nuggets again. Like what what have you what have you proven to us? You know, the common thing will be you know Jokic can't defend and they they don't have proven players and all that sort of stuff. But that's the top four seeds in the West. So what a what a remarkably interesting playoff run and, and seeding push we're gonna have over the next couple of weeks. Chris, you 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 negotiated with me to come on this show and, and to talk about these things. You um you set forth your demands. So let's have one <laughs> let's have one minute on the Cavs and tell me tell me about Isaac Okoro. Okay, look, this is just my plea to the people out there that aren't watching a lot of Cavs games, and I get it. They're 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 bad, they're goofy, a lot of injuries, you know, whatever. Maybe I haven't watched them since Colin Sexton like dropped the nuke on the Nets um a ways back. But Isaac Okoro is gonna be your favorite basketball blogger or podcaster's favorite player in the near future. He's already amazing at defense. He's figuring it out on offense as a as a shooter and a cutter. He's going to be really, really good. Um, I don't know what this team's like going to do in the future of the draft, and if they can get Cade or, or someone of that close to that ilk, we'll say a lot about them. But Isaac Cora is going to be really, 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 really good. Um, and I, I feel I'm very sure about this. I'm, I'm putting my chips in the, the center of the table here, so to speak, and uh, get on the bandwagon now before your favorite blog, favorite blogger or podcaster is like Isaac Cora is really good, and you're, and you're not paying attention enough. 
Well, uh, Chris, everyone who uh, listens to me know that my favourite uh, under the radar Cavs player is Isaiah Hartenstein. So he's going to have to, Akura's going to have to knock him off to become my favourite. That there, guy but- fouls so much, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's had a lot of fouls today in the in the game on Sunday. But Chris, thank you for coming on. And uh, for all your Cavs news, Chris will have it covered for you all over on Locked On Cavs. Chris, thanks for jumping in here on Locked On NBA. Hey, it's good to talk about actual basketball and good teams from time to time. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action: football, college basketball. They're over. But the NBA, we're still rolling. The NHL still going as well. And Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today using our promo code LOCKEDON and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online are your online sportsbook experts. Now let's talk to the host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. John Corrales is here basking in the glow of a remarkable turnaround on Sunday against the Denver Nuggets. John, what, what happened in that game? Because uh, Denver was up big, and in the end, you look at the score, and you go, there's, there's no way Denver was up big in that game. Yeah, I know, right? It, it happened so quickly. They, It was like a couple minutes to go in the third quarter. Compazzo hits a three, puts them up 14. It's their biggest lead of the game. Uh, Jokic looks like the MVP. And then once he sat down, the Celtics turned to a switching defense, uh, turned up the pressure a little bit. They got four straight turnovers, essentially five because of a a block shot late in the game. It was really more of a strip than anything. And they turned four out, out of those five plays into points. And instead of being down 14, they go into the fourth quarter down five. And Denver just all of a sudden, I think it felt like everything fell apart. You saw Jamichael Green, who played terribly, his his head slumped and his shoulders slumped. Every single everything that went wrong, it was very very visible. And hey, look, from watching the Celtics all season long, it's something that I've seen a lot of. It was kind of interesting to see it to an, uh, happen to another team. But the Celtics ramped up the pressure, and Denver. But by, by the time Jokic came back in, it was too late. They they were just dejected. They had nothing left. This was a Denver team that had won, I think, eight in a row prior to this game against Boston. They were cruising again. They were one of the hottest teams in the NBA. And Boston, it's fair to say, John, hasn't been one of the hottest teams in the NBA really all season. They've been up and down, currently find themselves in the seventh seed. That might change depending on what happens uh, with Miami today and uh, if they win or lose. But yeah, would you say things have started to turn around here for Boston? Tristan Thompson's back, providing some uh, decent backup minutes behind new starter Rob Williams. Would you say that things are, are looking on the upward trajectory for Boston? Uh, I would say so. I mean, at, at this point, th- this is probably the best they've played in a long time, probably since before Jason Tatum got COVID. Uh, they've won seven out of their last 10. And no, they're not the hottest team in the NBA, but they join Brooklyn, they join Atlanta, as the only other the only other teams in the East to have won seven out of their last ten. They've won five out of their last six. They're and and they are tied as far as percentage goes with Charlotte for the fifth seed. And they're a game out of fourth. And now comes like the real test, but they they have started to win games that they they've lost earlier this season. And that and that's really where I hang my hat as far as maybe some optimism here. They beat the New York Knicks in a game where they just got their butts kicked by a very physical team. And they still managed to come back after being down going into the fourth and win that game. They came out slow against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And granted, 
that's a Minnesota Timberwolves team that was playing with D'Lo and and Carl Anthony Towns for only what the second time, and so they came out slow against them, but they they managed to come back after being down in the fourth. And in this game, they go into the fourth again again down, and they managed to come back. It says a lot about this team that they're starting to turn around some of these these games that would have been losses earlier in the season. So, you know, I think the last time I had you on Locked on NBA, we spoke about the importance of Marcus Smart and how his absence was hurting this team. Now, even when he played to begin the season, he wasn't quite Marcus Smart, but I'd say recently he is very much Marcus Smart. Like he's doing things defensively, which he always does, but yeah. he, he has upped his offense as well and he's be, being a really key playmaker for this team so yeah back then we we posited that like he was a real a key factor in why they were, were slumping so do you think that you know the the inverse is true here that he's back he's playing at a high level and therefore the Celtics look a lot better is, is it just it doesn't all come down to Marcus Mutt but does that just tying in with what we said back then I mean it's, it's a huge help it's a huge huge help uh Marcus had what maybe his worst game of the season against the New Orleans Pelicans and since then, he's been playing really, really well. Uh, he's he's lost focus in that New Orleans game, but since then, has been very much on point. Has been passing the ball like we expect Marcus Smart to pass the ball. Has been defending a lot better. But more than anything, and this may sound weird for people who watch Marcus Smart and how intense he can be, he's been the calming force for the Celtics. Where in these last few games when there have been moments that the Celtics have fallen apart in the past, they uh, have looked to Marcus Smart to be like, hey, he's taken these guys aside and said, we're good, it's fine. When, when something goes wrong, he's like, "Step, I, I got it, don't worry, it's my mistake. Let's everybody just focus on the next play. And part of the problem for the Celtics this season has been they haven't been able to focus on that next play. They've let these mistakes, just like the Denver Nuggets did, in this game, they let these mistakes pile up. Each each error is compounded by the next mistake because you haven't been able to move past things. And Smart, to his credit, and for a very emotional guy, has been a, a very steadying force for the Celtics. But they're also they're getting healthier. Kemba Walker is playing better. He's finishing at the rim. His post-All-Star uh, rim numbers, 73% shooting at the rim versus 54% shooting at the rim before the All-Star break. So he's coming around. Tatum, I think, is starting to get past the, the, the side effects of COVID. And they're starting to get hold, like you said, Tristan Thompson. And the last missing piece will be Evan Fournier, who's in the safe, health and safety protocols. Hopefully they get him back after this road trip. We finally get to see a full Celtics team. But the guys that they have now ha- have been enough to kind of get some continuity. Well, it is going to be interesting to see where they push up. As you said, yeah, they are a game out of the four seed. Things are, are coming together for Boston at the right time of the season, John. It's going to be interesting to see how it all works out, and people can check you out over on Locked On Celtics as they make a push to get themselves a home court advantage in that first round. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. My pleasure. Anytime. And that'll do it for today's episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Odyssey as well. 
You follow us, you never miss an episode. Pretty straightforward stuff. You can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball as well as Locked On NBA Pods over there for all of the network. Go listen to your favorite team show. We've got teams. We've got pods for every team in the NBA. We've got baseball. We've got hockey. We've got football. We've got college sports. We've got everything going on over on the Locked On Podcast Network. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.